no ground to back a third base. Ball game. Because Jumbo ball has game. it, there's the throw, and Dizzy Dean is safe at first base. Dizzy Dean on first base. You like ball game? I love it. Come here. You know, don't say a word to Roscoe. You know I have a ball team of my own. You have? Sure. You know they give these ball players nowadays very peculiar names. Funny names. Nicknames, you know, like uh, Dizzy Dean and... His brother Daffy? Daffy Dean. What's the fellow's names on the team? Well, now, let's see. We have who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. That's what I want to find out. I'm saying who's on first, what's on second, I don't know who's on third. Are you the manager? Yes. You know the fellow's names? Well, I should. Well, who's on first? Yes. I mean the fellow's name. Who? The first baseman. Who is on first? That's what I want to find out. That's what I'm telling you, man. You got a first baseman? Certainly. Who's playing there? Yes. I mean the fellow's name. Yes, who? On first base. That's the man's name. That's whose name? Yes. Have you got a contract with the first baseman? Well, naturally. Who signed the contract? Well, now, you wouldn't expect anybody else to sign it. But who? Yes. What's when it? you pay off the first baseman every month, who gets the money? Every dollar of it. He does? Yes. Every buck. Every buck. He gets every buck. Mm-hmm. Look, all I'm trying to find out is what is the fellow's name on first base? Oh, now, wait a minute. Let's straighten that out. What is on second I'm then? not asking you who's on second. Who is on first? I don't know. Oh, he's on third. Now, we're not talking about... How did I get on third base? You mentioned his name. I mentioned his name. Yes. If I mention the third baseman's name, who did I say is on third? Oh, no. Who's on first? Never mind first. I want to know what's the fellow's name on third base. But what's on second? Who's on second? Who's on first? I don't know. He's on third. There I go, back on third base again. Well, I can't help Let's that. Let's you and I stay on third base. Don't go off. Well, what is it you want to know? Who is playing third base? Why do you insist on putting who on third base? Now, who am I putting on third base? Yes, but we don't want him there. You don't want who there? No. So what's the guy's name belongs there? What belongs on second? Who belongs on second? Who is on first? I don't know. Third base. Third base. Now I'm back on third base again. Well, I can't help that. You got a pitcher on a team? Naturally. What's the pitcher's name? No, what is on second? Who's on second? Who's on first? I don't know. Third, Third base. base. Look, I'm a catcher too, you know. What do you mean? I'm a catcher. Well, what about? No, I'll catch you on your team. Go. The heavy hitter gets up. So? He bunts the ball. Me being a good catcher, right? I want to throw the ball to first base, so I pick up the ball and throw it to who? Now, that's the first thing you've said right. That's the first thing I said right. Nah. I don't even know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Look, all I want to know is when I pick up the ball, I throw it to first base, who gets it? Right, right, absolutely right. Naturally, if you throw the ball to first base, who is bound to get it? I don't know, third base. Well, that was uh, the famous comedic duo. Yeah, you can clap for... <clears throat> The famous comedic duo Abbott and Costello. And if you're not familiar with, uh, with that historic comedy routine, it's called Who is on First? And uh, it's one of the famous uh, comedy acts of all time. I remember when I was a, a little kid growing up, I used to, uh, every time we would go to my grandparents' house, my grandpa Krause, uh, he was a huge Abbott and Costello fan, and every time we went, he had a new movie for us to watch. And so, as a kid growing up, I watched all the Abbott and Costello films, and uh, they were truly a, a dynamic duo of comedy. I mean, they're, they're one of those uh, acts that you can't imagine one without the other. And in the whole who's on first routine, it takes both of these guys for that to, to get, you know, pulled off. You can't just do that as a single comedian. And, uh, and so, you know, you think about how, you know, throughout history, there have been these dynamic duos that uh, God has given them incredible talents and they come together and they do amazing things and we see that you know throughout history we see that in popular culture you know you got Batman and Robin you got Tom and Jerry Simon and Garfunkel right I mean you could go on and on of the famous dynamic duos well the Bible also has a number of dynamic duos uh, dynamic duos that God has used in powerful ways 
We, we think of people like Moses and Aaron. We think of women like Ruth and Naomi. You've got David and Jonathan. You've got the New Testament, Paul and Silas, right? We could go on and on talking about these powerful dynamic duos that God has used in some incredible ways. Well, today, as we continue on in our new series in the book of Judges, we're moving into Judges chapter 4 and 5. And today, we're going to look at a truly dynamic duo, a dynamic duo of faith that God used in some powerful ways to deliver his people, the nation of Israel, from their oppressors in this period of Israel's history. Judges chapter 4 and 5 provide us with two unique views on this same episode in Israel's history. Judges chapter 4 is a historical record. Judges chapter 5 is a song, a poetic form, a celebration song of victory over the, about the events we read about in chapter 4. And uh, this period in Israel's history, again, really is uh, an interesting time. This is about 1,400 years before Jesus Christ. It's a 300-year period in Israel's history from about 1,400 to around 1,100 where God was at work in the life of the nation of Israel. And if you remember from our previous studies, we've seen how during this period of the judges, Israel was running through this repeated cycle. It's a a cycle that we see seven times in the book of Judges. Today, we're going to see the third of these cycles. And it's a cycle, if you recall, a cycle of rebellion where, where God's people turn their back on him. And as a result of turning their back on God, they fall into, they fall into God's, uh, they face restitution. They face judgment, punishment for that. And then the people cry out to God for, you know, in remorse and sorrow for their sins. And then God relieves them and he raises up judges. We're going to see that today with Deborah and Barak, how God raises up these judges to deliver his people. But then sadly, over and over again in the book of Judges, we see the nation of Israel falling back in, repeating their rebellion, not learning their lessons, not learning from their mistakes and their sins and, and, and how God's faithfulness blesses them when they are honoring him and, and just the opposite, how things go bad when they turn their backs on him. And so again, it's this very tragic story of, of a people who are hard-hearted and rebellious and stubborn and not learning the important lessons that God wants them to, to learn. And, and again, this is exactly why we study this book. God's given us this book and these accounts so that hopefully we can learn from Israel's poor choices. We can see how when they honored God, God blessed them and showered out prosperity and blessings and his faithfulness and abundance, right? But when they turned their back on him in rebellion, that's when they faced God's judgment. And so again, we learn some important lessons in this in how we ourselves should live, not only as individuals, but as a church and as a nation, honoring God, walking in obedience. These things truly matter. And we're going to see that once again here as we study Judges chapter 4 and 5 today, the story of Deborah and Barak. Now, just to give you a little bit of context this morning, uh, where our story takes place in the nation of Israel. Uh, I put a map on the screen for you here today, and we're going to read some names of various places and and regions in the nation of Israel. And uh, if you notice, the, the red line on the bottom under Ephraim, Right in the center of the nation of Israel, that's, that's mountainous hill country in Israel, right in the center 
of the country. This is where Deborah was stationed. We're going to hear about Deborah judging the nation of Israel in this area of Ephraim. So that's where, that's where her home base was. Up in the north, you'll see Kadesh. That's the, that's the city where our hero Barak in our passage today comes from. Just below that, you have another underlined city, Hatzor, which is a famous city in biblical history. It was a, a fortress city, a stronghold city uh, that throughout the centuries had been fought over by many different peoples. But Hatzor, in our passage this morning, is the headquarters of the, the evil King Jabin, who was oppressing the Israelites during this time. And then the yellow box is really where the center of the action of our story takes place. Uh, that area just to the west of the Sea of Galilee, if you look at a map of Israel, that area is what is known as the Jezreel Valley. It, it's a very fertile plain it, to, to this very day. It's still known as the breadbasket of Israel. It's a fertile plain, a big, massive valley that's about 10 square miles uh, in, in, uh, in diameter circumference. And, uh, and this is where the majority of today's story takes place in this particular region. So I want that in your, in your minds as we read our story this morning. We're in Judges chapter 4. What we're going to do today, we're going to read chapter 4, the historical account, and then I'm going to supplement that throughout my sermon with some references to chapter 5, which is Deborah and Barak's victory song about the events that we read here in chapter 4. So we're not going to read the totality of chapter 5, but I'm going to point, point out some significant aspects of that chapter for us. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to Judges chapter 4. I'm going to read it from my Bible. You can follow along on the screens if you like. Judges chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. Remember, we saw the judge Ehud last week who delivered the nation of Israel. And once again, here is this cycle. We see Israel falling again into rebellion after the judge passes away. And the Lord sold them into the hand of King Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hatzor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. For he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand." Barak said to Deborah, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out to Zebulon and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels. And Deborah went with him. 
Now Heber, the Kenite, had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zanaim, which is near Kadesh. Now, this, this Heber guy that we read about here, this, this is a traitor to the nation of Israel. We, 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 we understand that reading, be th- reading through the lines here a little bit, between the lines, but just, think, just keep in mind, this guy is a traitor to the nation of Israel. So Heber had moved away. He had pitched his tent near this oak in Zanim, near Kedesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, now again, we assume that it was this Heber guy who told Sisera where Barak and his troops were going. Sisera called out his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Herosh Hagoyim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army of Herosheth Hagoyim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hatzor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, please give me a little water drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the opening of the tent. And if any man comes and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the tent peg into his temple until it went down to the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went in to meet her, and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. Another interesting story, isn't it? Story of God's people in rebellion and 20 years under oppression to this King Jabin and his general Sisera, and then God raising up these two heroes, these two champions. Now, you might think Jael here at the end of the story is, is the hero in the story, the one who actually kills this, this wicked general Sisera. But again, remember, she's the wife of this Heber the Kenite, a traitor to Israel. She's really simply trying to save her own skin at this point, recognizing that the battle has been won and uh, their days are numbered. And so it's this interesting story, though, of how God is at work, again, delivering the people of Israel. We we start out here, we see in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, how Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They, they turned their back on God. They, they followed after false idols. They, they turned in rebellion against his will and his ways. They, they were unfaithful to the covenant that they had made with him. And as a result of this, we find God selling his people 
into slavery. And they're under the oppression of this Canaanite king, Jabin, and his, his general Sisera. And, and understand, friends, this was a brutal man. They, these were wicked and evil people. In chapter 5, in the victory song that Brock and Deborah sing after, after winning this great battle, in chapter 5, verses 28 through 30, we read an account where they sing of Sisera's mother waiting for Sisera to return. And Sisera, Sisera's mother is singing, you know, what's taking so long for, for my son, this great general, to return? And in verses 28 through 30, we read, Out of the window she peered, the mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princess answers. Indeed, she answers herself. What's taking them so long? Here's the answer. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man? Friends, these were brutal people. These were people who for 20 years had oppressed Israel. This was an evil man who not only conquered people and plundered them and pillaged their villages, but would rape their women and sell them into sex slavery. A womb or two for every man. We have no reason to feel sorry for these pagan evil Canaanites that God would judge through the hands of the Israelites and his judges. But understand, friends, this is the kind of tyranny and oppression that Israel had been on under for 20 years, under this powerful king and his general. We see this throughout history, friends. When a people turn their back on God, when they do evil in the sight of the Lord, God brings chastisement. God brings judgment. You cannot expect to experience God's blessing, whether as an individual, as a church, as a nation, when you rebel against God and turn against his ways. It just doesn't happen. I was thinking about this week in in regards to uh, the great moral tragedy of our nation, the moral evil of abortion. Yesterday was the 49th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Since 1973, our nation has killed over 63 million babies. That's just America, hundreds of millions more around the world. It's the greatest evil, the greatest holocaust in the history of the world. And yet we expect God to bless our nation with, with, with our government officially sanctioning this kind of moral evil and atrocity. You know, I think about this and I think about it in light of the book of Judges and I can't help but wonder if, you know, all the chaos we see in our country and and, and the the sorry leadership we've had in recent years and the divisiveness and the racial strife and the crime, I mean, all of this, right? It's almost like God just removed his hand of blessing and said, you know what, I'm going to let you reap the fruit of your evil. We see this time and time again throughout history, throughout the nation of Israel. And and it's when God's people cry out in repentance that God brings deliverance and God restores them. We talked about this last week, friends. God is our only hope. God is the only hope for our nation. And so we need to cry out in repentance. We need to pray and ask God to to deliver us from this period of oppression that we're in. And it starts by acknowledging our own sin and our own rebellion and our own wickedness. And as we see here in our story this morning, when people do that, when they cry out to God, he is faithful. 
Because he is a God of amazing grace. He's a God of amazing grace for individuals and for nations. You know, it's no stretch of the imagination to think in a room this size with this many people, if statistics hold true, that even abortion has touched some of us in this room. And friends, if that's been part of your past, I want to emphasize to you, God is a God of amazing grace for you too. If you confess your sin and cry out to him in repentance, God will do a work of forgiveness, a work of healing, a work of transformation. He does that for individuals and he does that for nations. And so we can hope in the Lord. We see God's faithfulness here to the nation of Israel. And and, and we see his faithfulness and how God provides these two heroes, these two judges that he raises up for the nation to deliver them. The first judge that we see is, is God's woman for Israel, Deborah. What a great example for Christian women. You know, I was reading about Deborah and studying her life this week, and I kept thinking to myself, you know, I got a, I got a young teenage daughter, and I was thinking, man, I want my daughter to grow up to be like Deborah. What a great model, what a great example, not just for, for Christian women, but really for all of us. Earlier this year, I had gotten into a conversation with a, with a Christian friend of mine who is a little bit more on the progressive side of the spectrum theologically. They, they've embraced a, a liberal version of Christianity. And, and uh, one of the issues that we were discussing together was the, the role of women in Christianity. And she has sadly embraced this very false caricature that so many in our culture today have embraced about you know, the so-called Christian view of women. And how, you know, Christianity is oppressive to women and, and uh, women are just, you know, subjected to the domination of men in the church and to their husbands. And, you know, and the best they can hope for is to, you know, be, you know, subservient to men and live their lives barefoot and pregnant. I mean, I mean all the typical stereotypes that my friend had embraced. And, and we were talking about those realities. And if you're interested in hearing a, a biblical account of the role of women in the church, I'd encourage you this past year, go back to last spring. We did a series called You Lost Me, where we spent one Sunday morning talking about the biblical view of women in the church. God has a very high view of women. And Christianity, like no other movement in the history of the world, elevates women. Right? We, we talked about this in our study in 1 Peter this fall, when, when Peter talks about wives being subject to their husbands, right? Well, what does that mean? The world caricatures that in a very negative way. It's not negative. To, to be subject means that you, temp, you voluntarily place yourself under the authority of another person. And so wives are called to be subject to their husbands. That's God's will and his design. But then God says in the very next breath to husbands, you know, husbands, Ephesians chapter 5, you're to love your wife and to serve her and literally lay down your life for her like Jesus. So, so again, this isn't a subservient kind of relationship. This is a very mutually loving and sacrificial and selfless form of relationship, one between one to the other. And so when we look at Deborah, here's another example of a woman in Scripture that shatters these false stereotypes that are so often embraced by people in our world today about how godly women should live and what they should look like. I mean, again, if I want my young daughter to have a role model, I'm going to point her to Deborah because Deborah is an incredible woman. Look at at what we learn about Deborah here in chapter 4. 
in verses 4 through 9. Now, Deborah, number one, a prophetess, okay? So, so first thing we're told about Deborah is she is a prophetess. What is a prophetess? A prophet or a prophetess is somebody who speaks God's supernaturally revealed truth to his people. They, they proclaim God's revelation to the culture around them. And so first and foremost, here's a woman who was receiving divine revelation from God that she would then share with his people, the nation of Israel. That's the first thing we find out about Deborah. It goes on in verse 4. She was also the wife of Lapidoth. Now, now we don't learn much about her husband here, this, this man named Lapidoth, but we do know that Deborah was a wife. Very likely a mother. She's described in chapter 5 as a mother, a mother to Israel. So, so she, at, at a minimum, is in a marriage relationship. And we have to assume that it was a God-honoring marriage between Deborah and her husband, Lapidoth. Again, we don't know much about this man, but we have a very high vision in this passage about Deborah, a faithful woman of God. So she's obviously following God's will and plan and commands in regards to marriage. This is probably an Ephesians 5 type of marriage where Deborah was submitting herself to her husband as the head of their family, as God calls for, for the marriage relationship to be. But on the other hand, she probably had a husband who was self-sacrificial and loving and serving her, even to the point of being okay with her having this role of leadership over the nation of Israel. I mean, he, he must have been an incredible man, especially in that culture, right, to be okay with a wife who's leading the nation of Israel in this way. But again, this is, this is a biblical vision of marriage. So we have this woman who's a prophetess. She's a wife. The, second, the third thing we read about her, verse 4, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. Now that word judging in the Hebrew can also be translated as governing. So here you have this woman who had a very high role in the nation of Israel. She, she's speaking God's revealed truth to his people. She's a faithful wife at the same time. She's judging slash governing the people of Israel during this period in their history. Okay. And then fourthly, we read about Deborah that she's settling disputes among the people of Israel. It says the people of Israel would come up to her for counsel, for guidance. And she's providing counsel. She's, she's, dis, she's settling disputes. She's probably weighing in on legal matters and, and the law helping to bring righteousness and sound judgment to God's people. I mean, you read this story and, and you start to understand the kinds of things this woman was doing and who she was. I mean, this is an incredible woman. This is the kind of woman like any woman here should, should strive to emulate. A prophetess, a wife, a governor, a judge. I mean, in each of these positions, Deborah is a great role model for Christian women. And so you ask questions, questions like, can God use women, even wives and mothers, to lead nations? Absolutely. You ask questions like, can God use women to speak prophetically to his people? Certainly. We see it right here. You ask questions like, can God use women to provide wise counsel? 
Of course, right? These are all things that Deborah was doing under God, sanctioned by God, called by God to fulfill these roles for his people. So so understand, friends, next time you hear somebody caricature our faith as being degrading or demeaning to women, just point them to Judges chapter 4. Point them to Deborah. I mean, she is anything but a str- anything but you know the false caricature here here is this strong godly woman that god used in a powerful way now here's the thing you men might be thinking okay well what does deborah have to offer me today here this morning as i said a moment ago deborah is not just a great role model for our women she's also a great role model for for the christian men here this morning she's a great role model for all of us i mean the reality is we can learn a lot from her example See, in Deborah, we we have this person whose life made a powerful impact. How many of us here don't want our lives to make an impact in this world? Right? How many of us here don't want God to use us in in powerful ways to to impact the lives of others around us? Well, that's what Deborah did. And and there were three traits in particular I want to highlight this morning that we see here in Deborah. Three traits that all of us women and men should strive to emulate if we too want to be a people whose lives make a difference in this world right here's this woman who made an impact how did she do this number one excuse me number one she was courageous she was a woman of bravery in a time of great need in her nation's history if you got your bibles turn over to judges chapter 5 verses 6 through 8 we read about deborah's courage and bravery here In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, when war was in the gates, when no shield or spear was to be seen among 40,000 in Israel, Deborah sang that I stood up and came to Israel's aid. God raised her up as a champion for his people. This passage is interesting because when you read this, you start to understand what was going on in Israel during this period, this 20-year period where they were under the oppression of Jabin and Sisera. We, we read here right away in verses 6 and 7, this was a period of fear. It was a period of oppression. It was a period of crime. She says people stayed away from the highways. Why, why would you stay away from the highways and go, go these roundabout ways? It's because you're afraid that either bandits or probably this oppressive military they were under are going to harass you every time you go somewhere. So people avoided the highways. Village life ceased, she says. Village life ceased. Why? Because people were afraid to go out. They were afraid to go out of their homes. And so you're under this period of crime and oppression. I mean, it sounds like a lot of major cities in America today, doesn't it? Right? This is what's going on in this period of Israel's history. She says new gods were chosen. The people had again fallen into idolatry. War was at the gates. I mean, you watch the news lately? Wars, rumors of war. I mean, again, it's all the same stuff. Same cycle over and over throughout history. And then interestingly, in verse 8, Deborah says, was a shield or spear to be seen among 40,000 in Israel. In other words, friends, there was nobody in Israel willing to stand up and fight against this oppression. There was no one. No one willing to stand. 
Not a sword or shield or spear to be found among the people of Israel. And Deborah says, I rose up. God raised up Deborah. I mean, this was a woman who stood boldly in the midst of a hostile culture for the sake of God's people and for the sake of God's truth. I tell you what, men and women, we need more Deborahs today. We need more courageous men and women of God who are willing to stand up boldly against the lies and depravity of this culture that we're in today. We need Christians who are willing to speak truth into our culture. We need Christians who are willing to be bold in sharing their faith and, and, and sharing the hope of the gospel with people. We, man, you give me an army of Deborahs, we'll do some serious damage for the sake of the Lord here in this world, right? But this was a woman of courage. When no one else stood up, God raised up Deborah. Number two, Deborah was a faithful woman. She was a woman who trusted God to provide for her needs. How do we know that? Well, we know that because Deborah spoke God's revelation calling Barak to come and be Israel's military deliverer. See, Deborah understood. She knew her role. God had called her to judge. She was the judge. She knew she wasn't going to be leading God's army against Jabin and Sisera. She was the judge. She needed a general. And our passage doesn't say it, but as a woman of God, she was obviously in communion with God, praying to God. And God told Deborah, I'm going to raise up a general for you. And his name is going to be Barak. You call Barak, you tell him to come, and I'm going to deliver Jabin and Sisera into his hands. And so Deborah understood her needs. She called on God to provide for her needs, and God raised up Barak. She's a woman of faith. Friends, are we calling out to the Lord in our time of need? Third thing we learn about Deborah, she, she was an inspirational woman. She, she was somebody who encouraged others in their needs. Right? When we, we see Barak, Barak first shows up on the scene. It's interesting, Barak, his name means lightning. When you first meet him, he's anything but lightning. He's more like a light bulb, like a nightlight even, right? I mean, what's his initial response? Deborah tells him, look at the Lord has already go- said, I am going to deliver Sisera into your hand. And what's Barak's response? I mean, talk about a timid, tepid faith here. Like the prophet has just said, God has already delivered him into your hand. And his response is, well, if you go with me, maybe I'll go, right? And so Deborah says, okay, I'm going to go. I'll go with you. And he, she inspires this guy's faith, and he turns out to be a great champion, a great hero for Israel. But again, it was because of her inspiration in his life. One of, one of the greatest lessons that my dad taught me growing up, and he learned it from his father, my grandpa Harold, be an encourager. Be somebody who inspires others. Our world is longing for encouragers today. Our world is longing for people to believe in someone, to, to hope, share, inspire them with hope. And, and I, I've seen that time and time again in my life. Just simple words of encouragement, simple admonitions, uh, coming along somebody in prayer and inspiring them to what God can do through them and, and in them and, and how they can be God's man or God's woman, right? Speaking words of encouragement into somebody's life can be a powerful, powerful thing. 
And that's what we see in, in Deborah's example. And so again, we have this woman who's a great role model for all of us. If you want to be a person who makes an impact in this world, right? Just put these three traits into practice in your life. Be a man or woman of courage. Be a faithful man or woman who turns to God in your needs and trusts in him to provide. Be a person who inspires others to step up and walk in faith and to use their gifts and abilities to make an impact. I mean, if you live your life in this way, I promise you, you're going to make a huge impact in this world. So we got a great example here. Now, now Deborah is this exemplary leader, but understand this, friends, that's not all she is. Because in her exemplary leadership, we also find an archetype, a foreshadowing of God's ideal leader. You see, Deborah, like the other judges we've seen in our study so far this, this, this year, Deborah ultimately points us to Jesus. See, she's a great leader, but she's still human. And she still had her frailties, and she ultimately passed away and was not there indefinitely for the people. Deborah's like those, like eating a bag of potato chips, right? You eat that first chip, and it's salty, and the, it tastes so good, you know, you just want to go back for more. Deborah's like the salty potato chip that, wants, that keeps us wanting for more. And the more that we long for is ultimately found in Jesus, our true king. The prophet Isaiah writing 500 years after this period, 700 years before the coming of Jesus. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. See, friends, the Bible points us to our true king. Deborah, we see a great example of a godly leader, but Deborah just leaves us wanting for more. And the more is found in Jesus. And so I want to ask you this morning, friends, do you know Jesus as your king, have you put your hope in him, the, the prince of peace, the true wonderful counselor, the, the one whose rule and reign never ends? And see, the greatest thing about King Jesus, friends, is not only is he a great king, but he also invites you to be his friend. He's a loving king, a gracious king. And when you put your hope and trust in him, you can have the assurance of all of these promises in the king and friend who rules and reigns forevermore. Don't miss out on that opportunity to know King Jesus. So in Deborah, we see God's woman for Israel. But secondly, in our passage this morning, we see God's warrior for Israel. This man, Barak, that Deborah called under the inspiration of God to, to lead the people of Israel in this battle. It's one of the most fascinating aspects of Deborah's story. Deborah is the only judge. She's the only judge in the whole book of Judges where the judge does not deliver God's people militarily. Again, that wasn't her role. Okay? God called Deborah to judge. She called, he called Barak to be the general. 
And so Deborah hears from the Lord. She calls for Barak, and it's Barak who God commissions to lead the people of Israel into battle against Sisera. Now, as we saw a moment ago, Barak's initial response to God's call on his life it wasn't too enthusiastic, right? I mean, you get this, this image of Barak, he's kind of this, this tepid faith, right? Well, God's going to deliver Sisera into your hand. Well, if you come with me, I'll go. If you don't, I'm not going to go, right? So, so he needs Deborah to inspire him. But as a result of that inspiration, Barak steps up and he goes on to deliver God's people. Now, now Deborah says, look at as a result of your lack of faith, God's not going to deliver Sisera into your hand. He's going to deliver Sisera into the hand of a woman. And we saw that ultimately in how, how this, uh, the wife of this traitor, Heber, Jael, she ultimately is the one who kills Sisera. But again, in spite of Barak's doubts, it, it was under God's leadership and God's call that Barak goes on to fight and win a monumental victory for God's people. In fact... Barak's actions, right? We, we, we don't read the whole story of the battle here, but they were so commendable that Barak ended up in the Bible's hall of fame of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. Not Deborah, Barak, right? You read Hebrews chapter 11. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Friends, I like that line there. We're made strong out of weakness. That's Barak. God took this man of timid faith and, and through Deborah's inspiration and God's revelation encouraged him to step up and become the general that Israel needed to deliver them from Sisera. And I think there's a lot of important lessons that we can learn from Barak's example. This coming month, February 10th, uh, the NFL is going to announce their next round of Hall of Fame inductees. It's always interesting to see who is selected and inducted into the NFL's Hall of Fame. And one of my favorite things is to watch the, the Hall of Fame speeches. It's really great. You know, you watch these heroes, you know, on the football field and they stand up and they've, you know, they've attained the heights of fame in the NFL and the heights of glory. And, and oftentimes these, you know, these strong men who spent their lives battling on the field, they get up there and they share their Hall of Fame speeches and they just break down in tears and the emotions begin to overwhelm them as they think about, you know, the, the people that impacted their lives and the sacrifices that they made. And, and it's really moving to see these Hall of Fame induction speeches. And I think if we were to sit in and listen to Barack's Hall of Fame induction speech, Hebrews chapter 11, God's Hall of Fame of faith, you know, what would Barack tell us? I think his speech would be important and, and very enlightening for us. I think Brock would tell us, number one, when God makes a promise, he'll also supply the provision. See, that was a lesson Brock learned. God said, Brock, I'm going to deliver Sisera into your hands. And Brock doubted that at first. But God proved himself faithful, didn't he? God did deliver Sisera. A, 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 an army that far outnumbered and outpowered Barak and the Israelites, but God delivered him. He was faithful. 
And we see how God is a God who keeps his promises. Like Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 tells us, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Brock's story reminds us of these promises, friends. When God speaks, God keeps his word. And when God makes a promise, you can take that promise to the bank. We see that play out in Barack's story. God makes a promise and he supplied the provision. I think the second thing Barack would tell us in his Hall of Fame induction speech, he says, look at when God brings wise counsel, you'd be a fool not to listen. One of the most important lessons Barack learned, right? Here is this guy. He's called by God to be the general for Israel's army. He, he lacks faith. He doesn't believe it at first. Deborah speaks words of inspiration into his life, inspiring him to great leaps of faith to go out and lead God's army. And Barack learned the importance of trusting in wise godly counsel. This is a lesson we see throughout the Bible. The the best book, if you want to learn about the importance of wisdom and godly counsel, is the book of Proverbs. There's some great references in Proverbs that speak to the importance of seeking godly counsel in our lives. Proverbs 11.14, for example, says, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 12.15, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 19, 20 through 21. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. I mean, time and time again, the Bible calls us to seek out godly counsel, godly wisdom, godly advisors. I know for me, I've been blessed in my life with many great men and women of faith who have given me godly counsel. Even recently, one of my greatest mentors and heroes is our former senior pastor, Pastor Rick. And and Pastor Rick, I will say this in all honesty, he has never once interfered in my leadership as the senior pastor here at our church. But there have been many times where either I have sought him out for godly counsel and wisdom because he's been around the block a few times, right? He's led a church for 30 plus years. He's a man of God, and I trust his counsel. There have been times where he said to me, he sent me an email, a word of encouragement, or a quick phone call just to say, Jason, hey, I think you're doing a great job, and sometimes share words of guidance and counsel. What a blessing. Friends, if you have men or women like that in your life who are speaking godly wisdom, you listen. You pay attention, right? It's the fool who does what's right in his own eyes. The wise man or woman is the one who listens to godly counsel, godly guidance. I think that's a lesson that Barack teaches us. I think thirdly, Barack would tell us God takes people of fear and turns them into giants of faith. This is the greatest lesson I see in Barack's example for us this morning. Here's this man called by God, called to lead the army of Israel, timid in his response. But God takes this timid faith and turns him into a warrior, into a mighty man. 
we, we see God turning Barak into this giant of faith in, in two ways. Number one, we see Barak leading his troops into battle in this seemingly impossible situation against overwhelming odds. The people of Israel, they were outgunned, outmanned, and outpositioned. Okay, they had 900 chariots of iron. They had an army of 40,000, I think it said. Israel, Barak, he's got 10,000 men. I mean, anyone would say the odds are on Jabin and Sisera's side. But Barak had God on his side, right? And he stepped out in faith and trusted the promises, and God delivered him. It's like Paul says in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? We, we see Barak's faith a second way in how he trusted God with a servant's heart knowing that the victory would not ultimately be his. Deborah says, look at Barak, because you didn't initially trust God, you're not going to get the honor. In fact, God's going to give the honor of the victory to another person, to a woman. And we see how it was Jael ultimately who had the honor of killing this evil general Sisera, not Barak. So God was true in keeping that promise. But even though Barak knew that he wouldn't get the honor, And even though Barak knew that he wouldn't be the leader of Israel after winning this battle, it was Deborah who was the leader. Barak still stepped out in faith, in humility, to serve under God's call in his life. And it's very interesting because it was in humility that led to his greatest honor. He ultimately ended up in God's hall of fame and faith, Hebrews chapter 11 because he was humble in his faith. It's like James 4.10 tells us, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Friends, sometimes God might call you into a situation where the response requires you to act in humble, selfless service. You're not going to get the glory. But God says, if you walk in faith, even in those times, I will lift you up. You'll be honored in heaven. You'll be honored in God's hall of fame of faith. What a great example we see here in Barak, friends. He's a great reminder to all of us that God's in the business of redemption. God's in the business of recycling and repurposing and restoring. That's what he does. And maybe you're here this morning and you feel as if you don't have enough faith to be used by God. Or maybe you're here today and you've already doubted God's promises in the past and you wonder, would would God ever use me again? Or maybe you've been making bargains with God and you're not experiencing his blessings. I, I want you to know, friends, if you can relate to any of that this morning, I want to encourage you, look to the example of Barak. But more than that, look to Barak's God. Look to Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Two great examples for us to follow. One a ruler, one a rescuer, Deborah and Barak. And in their role models, friends, we can learn a lot about what it is to walk by faith. And I pray you will. Let's close in prayer together.
Heavenly Father, we just thank you for giving us your word, giving us your revelation, Lord, and giving us examples like Deborah and Barak who speak truth into our lives and show us what it means to walk by faith and to trust in you and to live for you and how you are faithful, God. You're faithful to your promises. You're faithful as a God of amazing grace. You're faithful as a God of deliverance. You're faithful as a God who takes people of weak and timid faith and inspires us to do great things through your empowerment. Lord, I'm so thankful that we have great women and men of faith like Deborah and Brock to look to. And God, may we look to their examples and may we be inspired by them and may we look to you and trust in you and hope in you. And God, would you move powerfully through all the women and men here in our church and use us as your people to do great things in this time and in this culture that so desperately needs people of courage and hope and faith to step up and to point the world to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God, we ask that you would move mightily through us for your honor and glory. We pray all this in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, let me invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. It comes from Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. God bless you, everybody, and have a terrific week. Hi everybody, Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church, you can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free, and you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests, and we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.